It's Monday, July 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Anxiety in immigrant communities is high as long-threatened ICE raids are getting underway. ICE is targeting some 2,000 immigrants with deportation orders in 10 major cities, but the extent of the operation is yet to be seen. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for this, infighting between Democrats and Mueller testimony being delayed a week. Next, millennials are turning away from traditional organized religion and are embracing more spiritual beliefs like tarot, astrology, meditation, energy healing, and crystals. Millennials are increasingly identifying as nuns when asked about religious affiliation. They are atheist, agnostic, or say that they're spiritual but not religious. Jessica Roy, reporter for the LA Times, tells us about changing attitudes on religion and spirituality. Finally, did you experience the Sunday scaries last night? Sunday night is becoming the new Monday morning and it is making workers miserable. Late night and weekend work emails are causing people anxiety and making them feel like they have to address work off hours. Kelsey G, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how job creep may be a contributor to burnout. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Look, if we don't have interior enforcement, we don't have deterrence. Then people think they can get by that first line and they're done. And over a million people in this country who are here illegally have gone through extensive due process, have removal orders, and have not left. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. There's a lot of immigrant communities around the country that are pretty nervous over the weekend and leading into the week. We're going to be hearing about this news for the rest of the week. And this is these planned ICE raids that are set to begin. I think there was some slow rollouts in New York. I think I heard Florida also. Nothing really happening. A lot of people weren't opening their doors to agents. But this is part of what the president had telegraphed earlier, that ICE raids were coming. The president wants to talk to his supporters and say, I'm doing something. I'm taking action. You know, voters want something completed. They want something done, uh, or at least he thinks they do. And so he's trying to demonstrate action. The problem is, is that it's also being met with a lot of opposition. A lot of folks that think that these raids are a bad idea, that they're misplaced, that they're going after the wrong people. I think you're right. We're going to see this sort of unfold over the next few days. And, and the president is very aware of image and how much image matters. And that's part of why he's doing this. He wants to be demonstrating, as I said, to his people. But there's also a huge risk that the image of this is really detrimental to him. People feel sympathetic if you watch children have their parents torn away from them, our families ripped apart by government agents. And so as this unfolds, I think we're going to see a lot of those images and a lot of criticism from the president's opponents about this decision. ICE is going to be targeting 2,000 immigrants that have standing deportation orders. Ken Cuccinelli has been all over the Sunday program saying that we're targeting criminals in all of this, but everybody's very clear that there could be collateral deportations also. If they're in an immigrant community and they find a couple of other people, they're going to snap them up also. And the other thing important to remember, the last time this administration conducted raids like this and went after people with standing deportation orders, they also said they were going after criminals. But in some of those cases, the crime these people committed 
was being an immigrant. These weren't people who had been convicted of other dangerous or violent crimes. The use of the term criminal is quite misleading there. If you think they're going after people who are convicted felons on some other charges, uh, that was not the case the last time. We don't know what the case will be this time, but more likely than not, it could be that many of these people's only crime is being an undocumented immigrant. Let's move on to a little bit of the infighting that's going on with the Democrats. This has to do with the squad. This is the progressive group of freshman Democratic women, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and a few others. They've been fighting with Nancy Pelosi over it started with the House immigration bill. Nancy Pelosi said, you know, these people have their Twitter following, but not much else. They only had four votes in this. And there's this poll that's being circulated among top Democratic officials basically saying that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is widely recognized, but they don't really have a very favorable view of her and socialism and all this. And they're afraid that this could hurt their opportunities in the next election cycle. There is nervousness among Democrats about what type of party they want to present to the American people in November of 2020 when they face up against Donald Trump. That's really the heart of the whole Democratic presidential primary, just how liberal is their party, just how liberal is America. And we're seeing some of that, as you said, play out in this disagreement between Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Nancy Pelosi, as well as these three other members of Congress that have sort of aligned with AOC, as she is known. And I think that what this is, is really sort of an idea of disputing over how liberal they want to be and how aggressive they want to be. Nancy Pelosi is a pragmatist. Now, don't get me wrong, she's also quite liberal. We shouldn't forget she represents San Francisco. She was considered as liberal as AOC when she first got elected to Congress outside sort of the norm of her own party then. Uh, if now she's not the absolute mainstream. But this division, and, and, and a lot of it's about tactics. It's not that they, one likes Donald Trump, Trump and the other one doesn't. Um, it's that they don't agree on how to best go after him. Uh, and we're seeing that division really play out in, in public. Uh, last two things I want to talk to you about real briefly is Alexander Acosta, another member of the Trump cabinet, has to leave. This obviously has to do with his role in getting the sweetheart deal for Jeffrey Epstein, which I think everybody generally agrees. Epstein got off very easily in Florida in 2008. So he's out. And then the other thing, the Mueller testimony that we're expecting this week on Wednesday has been delayed by a week. Acosta, the labor secretary, is gone. This is the 13th cabinet secretary. I think that Trump has lost in his first two years in office. Just an incredible turnover. And really, this came down to a president that doesn't tolerate being overshadowed. He's not have a problem with controversy. He's a problem with controversy that, quote unquote, becomes a distraction. He doesn't like distractions. He doesn't like things taking away from, from his administration. So he's gone on to the next labor secretary. And then on to Mueller. You're right. We're waiting Mueller testimony. Uh, this was much anticipated, is so much anticipated. I think the week is largely to get these logistics in place and how negotiated this is going to be. It's a very limited time um, that he's going to be made available before these committees, how they will handle questions, who will get to ask them, what is fair grounds, things that are classified, how do they handle those. A lot going on behind the scenes, uh, but Democrats remain hopeful that they're going to get that big moment where they get him in front of a camera, really articulating to the American people what was in his report. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's <laughs> go.
we wrote down negative things we wanted to like let go of. And then we went around and used a lighter and like lit them on fire. And it was just such a cool experience. And like, I was raised Catholic and I thought, I bet this is the feeling a lot of people, a lot of my, my own family members would get from going to confession. Joining us now is Jessica Roy, reporter for the LA Times. For some time now, millennials have been driving this growth of something called the nuns, which is people that really don't affiliate with any religion. They're saying they're either atheists or agnostics or really nothing in particular. And right now there's this kind of big spiritual shift. It's away from organized religion. And a lot, as I said, there's a lot of young people, largely millennials, and they're starting to embrace more spiritual beliefs and practices like tarot, astrology, meditation, energy healing, and crystals. I have a few friends who are into that whole crystal thing. Uh, Tell us a little bit about this. I live in Los Angeles, where obviously there's always been a big sort of more mystical, spiritual community that's open to embracing this kind of thing. But in recent years, um, I actually started reporting this story with data. So I thought there had been this shift. And so I actually started looking at Google Trends, and I saw a huge spike in the last five years for terms like Zodiac and Birth Chart and for astrologers like Chani Nicholas and people like that. And so from there, I started interviewing people. And what I learned in a lot of interviews that I did was that a lot of people just felt a profound sense of alienation from the religion that they were raised with, especially if it was something like Catholicism or evangelical Christianity. People just felt like it was a mix of not feeling like they believed in every single thing they were told to believe and also being really put off by political things, by anti-LGBT views, by anti-women views. Just a lot of people who really felt alienated by their religion and so sort of exploring spiritual beliefs as a different path to religion and spirituality. We're all introduced to these types of things, mostly by our parents. And as you said, a lot of people kind of felt left out by this. They weren't getting this stuff that, uh, you know, their parents were finding in it. So they're looking elsewhere and they're looking to a lot of different things. Tell us a little bit about some of these new things that people are getting into. A lot of people I spoke to talked about um, getting into tarot cards for guidance. You can sort of, the tarot cards all have meetings and you can sort of uh, like pull a card out at the beginning of the day and look up what that card means and think of that as kind of like, a horoscope for your day or like I kind of liken it to like my grandmother had like a book of like you would have a daily Bible verse book and you would look at it and sometimes that daily Bible verse it would be like wow that's exactly what I'm going through and sometimes it would be like you know okay that really doesn't mean anything to me and I think people are just taking that same kind of practice and applying it to things like tarot cards or reading horoscopes something where some days you're like oh my god that's crazy it's like it's looking at my life and some days you're like I don't understand what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I have some friends who are really big into crystals and, you know, the rose quartz and the, you know, healing properties that they that they feel from it. So there's a lot of different things that people are getting into. Astrology is another big one. Tell us about how social media plays a role in this, because this is letting a lot more people connect on a larger scale. The social media plays a huge part in this. Right. There's definitely a uh, spirituality influencer set coming up on Instagram. But I think, you know, part of it is obviously uh, it doesn't hurt that all these things look great on Instagram. It's very fun to Instagram your crystals or your altar or your tarot card reading. But also it gives people a way to connect with other people who are into it. Like one of the people I interviewed, Leah Garza, uh, runs Crystals of Altamira and has her own podcast about crystals and talked about, yeah, she's like, that's the number one way that I find other people to connect with. You know, a generation ago, if you didn't have social media, if you were into this stuff, unless you went to like your local occult store and hung out waiting for people to talk to, there was really no way to find other people who share these kind of beliefs. And now you can do hashtag tarot and immediately find millions of other people who are interested. 
as with everything, there's an app for that. So there's apps that help out with this stuff. And it's moved beyond just kind of a lifestyle there. This is a spiritual business, too. There's a lot of business ventures that are expanding rapidly because there's more and more interest. Definitely. Um, the app CoStar uh, is super popular. It's on iOS right now. And I know they just had a $5.2 million seed round to fund launching the Android version. I downloaded the app maybe like two months ago. I downloaded CoStar when I was first reporting the story. And one day I was working at a different story. I knew I had to get it done that day. I was just putting it off, putting it off. It was like three in the afternoon. And finally I was like, okay, I am going to buckle down and I'm going to do this. And then I got my daily co-star alert and it was like, make some tea and put on some music and get it done. It was one of those moments where I was like, whoa, the stars know I'm procrastinating. (laughs) That's great. And these little connections really draw people to it. And then you're like, man, this is working for me. This is really speaking to me. And, And, you know, young people have always looked for those things that traditional organized religion may have provided, but they're not finding it there. So they're exploring and they're doing all sorts of other things right now. I mean, this seems like it's going to be a continuing trend for some time. Yeah, I think so. You know, it's interesting. I I write in the article, I attended this breathwork session and I'd never done anything like that before, but I wanted to go to a solstice event and I wanted to try this thing out that everybody was so into. And just the whole time I kept feeling like this is really nice. There was this thing where we all wrote down negative things on wish paper. We wrote down negative things we wanted to like let go of in, you know, with the summer solstice and the new season. And then we went around and used a lighter and like lit them on fire. And it was just such a cool experience. And like I was raised Catholic and I thought, I bet this is the feeling a lot of people, a lot of my, my own family members would get from going to confession. But instead of having to go to confession and say it to a priest and say prayers to atone for my sins, I'm just sort of like, neutrally acknowledging negative things and letting go of them. And I think that, I think there is a big appeal to that to a lot of people, you know, kind of the, the genesis of this story was the idea that people are very inherently spiritual or religious and that there's so much you get out of being religious other than just your religious beliefs. There's that sense of community. There's things like confession and forgiveness. There's moral guidance. There's a feeling that like there's something bigger than yourself that you can look to when things are tough. And I think, yeah, a lot of people are finding those same things in believing in crystals and astrology instead of going to church or temple. Jessica Roy, reporter for the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. That exact feeling of always needing to be on is contributing to Um, heightened anxiety, you know, and all kinds of other harmful health effects that could then contribute to chronic stress and exhaustion that leads to burnout. Joining us now is Kelsey G, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. We're going to be talking about the Sunday scaries. I didn't know this whole thing is what it was called. And I even went to Twitter and I searched (laughs) for the hashtag so I can see it. And it's totally true. This is this phenomenon of people getting emails either late night or Sunday ahead of Monday morning, and it's making everybody miserable. Sunday night is the new Monday morning, basically. Tell us a little bit about this. It's such a funny phenomenon, and I didn't know that the hashtag Sunday Scaries was as popular as it has become. A colleague of mine years ago referred to this as the Sunday dread, you know, just the feeling that creeps in when you are anticipating all of the 
stress and work that you're going to have to return to at the end of the weekend. But yeah, like when you look on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter, you get millions and millions of photos of people's like cute dogs or sunsets or like a sweet baby um, with the ha- <laughs> with the hashtag um, as a way of people being like, this is my coping mechanism for the Sunday series. Right. <laughs> um, and it's just this this phenomenon of job creep, you know, because of cell phones, because we have our work email and Slack and all kinds of other office tools with us physically in our back pocket or in our hand all the time. Uh, On the one hand, it's really nice because you can pick up a phone call if you need to have like a five minute powwow with, you know, a colleague or your boss at your kid's soccer game. Um, And it doesn't have to like bring you back into the physical office place. But at the same time, it means that, you know, you're always kind of bracing for some kind of emergency or some kind of fire that you may have to put out, whether that's like on a Saturday morning or, you know, Tuesday night at 11 p.m. Yeah. And and that really impacts you a, a lot. I mean, a lot of people saying that this is contributing to employee burnout. Working in the news and media area that I do, I tend to experience this all the time. It's part of the job, especially in radio. We're always on. You always have to be ready for something. And when an email comes from the boss, I mean, you perk up right away. Your heart skips a beat sometimes because you're like, oh, no, what did I do? Or what emergency do I need to handle right now? One of the examples you had in your story was just the manager kind of clearing some emails, sending some thoughts ahead of the week. But people get those emails and they think they have to address those things immediately. I think for a lot of people, um, the work-life, you know, boundary is blurring and that's energizing. You know, if you love what you do, then it doesn't feel draining to see that email and to jump into action, you know, when a story breaks or, you know, when there's, you know, some big business deal or project. I think the reality that some of these managers and executives I talked to tapped into was, even if that's the case and they do have that free window of time when it's relaxing and quiet for them to make progress on their own work, that they recognize now that um, just because, you know, that's true for them doesn't mean it's necessarily true for their entire staff or the colleagues that they're sending off that totally innocuous email to. The pressure can, can rise if Uh, the person who they're corresponding with does not have that free pocket of time and is not, you know, super excited to jump into action at any given moment. Share some numbers with us. How often are people feeling pressured to work around the clock or check email all the time? And how about the stress also? There's no great data for how widespread it is that people are uh, being forced to work outside of their normal business hours. But there is a lot of research that goes to show that Um, basically across the board, especially millennials, especially the folks who you think about who do carry that phone in hand or in their back pocket all the time, uh, that the vast majority of people between the ages of 23 and 38 are feeling pressure to be available, you know, to their colleagues, to their bosses around the clock um, through that device. And, you know, other research goes to show that because of that pressure, that that exact feeling of always needing to be on is contributing to um, heightened anxiety, you know, and all kinds of other harmful health effects that could then contribute to chronic stress and exhaustion that leads to burnout. There was a LinkedIn survey that Mm -hmm. said 80% experienced a surge in stress related to their jobs on Sunday nights and among millennials. That was up to 91%. That is almost, it's almost everyone. It's pretty much everybody at that point. Kelsey G reporter for the wall street journal. Thank you very much for talking to us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. 
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.